Good morning, church. It's great to see you. It's always good. It's been good to see new people. Well, not new people, but people I haven't seen in a long time coming back to church. So thank you for coming back. And uh, many of you are back and others of you are still watching online. And I want you to know that we are trying to certainly do our best to respect everybody. We have a section where masks are optional and a, a section where masks are required. And so thank you for working with that. And so if you're watching online, know we have a place for you as well. And we're so glad you're here. I, I um, am excited about this sermon series. Uh, mark my words as we look at phrases that Jesus spoke. Before they were our words, they were his words. And I love this uh, incredible, uh, I look, feel like I'm preaching at the Smithsonian or something, you know? Uh, it looks really good. Uh, but let's pray together because I want us to pray what we just sang. Lord, open up my heart to you now. And do what only you can do. Jesus, have your way in me now. Father, may your words speak to me now. May these words literally come alive in your people today. And Lord, may you use us to go and spread your good news. Guide us and direct us, and I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I've been asked, actually, I volunteered to take this message because, to me, this is a critical message. In my 40-plus years of preaching, I would put this in the top two or three of importance of messages because of the days that we are living in. The message title is How to Identify a, a Wolf in sheep's clothing. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of a, I guess a Smithsonian thing, a little uh, natural, National Geographic tour here. Let's, let's start off with a red wolf. I want you to know that these wolves are real. This is a red wolf that you'll find seven of them in North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina. We tried to introduce these into South Carolina, but they failed, they didn't take off. Uh, many farmers are thankful for that, but uh, there, there are three in captivity in Seawee, South Carolina. You can go see them there. Next, I want to say a word about the gray wolf. The gray wolf is in uh, Yellowstone, Wyoming, obviously, Montana, Utah, and it is a prolific uh, uh, breeding animal. And when I had the privilege of hunting a few years ago in Wyoming, just outside of Yellowstone with my good friend, Brian Palmera, we went on horseback and we were hunting uh, for mule deer and I got a lesson on grizzly bears and a lesson on wolves. And on this side, I had a revolver. You knew it was smart to give me a revolver because if I had an automatic, I would shoot all the bullets in like one second. Uh, so he gave me a revolver in case a, a, a grizzly bear charged or if a pack of wolves came upon us. The other side was a can of bear spray. So I was like, you know, ready to, you know, to go. But, but the point was we were in the wild and we were in, in a place of danger. And we needed to pay attention to our surroundings. When we, when we would eat a meal together, we would sit facing the fire and so that he could see strategically that way and I could see strategically that way so we could see. And we would always, it was interesting. This is not in my sermon notes. But, but Brian would always set up uh, uh, downwind because the, the bear would always come in upwind, right? And so he, he knew all this stuff. And it was, again, we, I realized then that I was not, now no longer at the top of the food chain, right? I was down here on, on the food chain. 
But all that to say, it's very dangerous. And, and Brian would teach me about wolves and we would see tracks of, of wolves uh, in the snow as we were riding on our horses. And, and, he, and Brian told me the story of once he came into a meadow, a snow-covered meadow, beautiful with a pack horse, and he and encountered a pack of 12 wolves. And, and the wolves immediately began to disperse, but they separated and they, they, they moved to his left and to his right. And as it says, I rode through that meadow, they were flanking me on either side and they were howling back and forth, communicating. And, and he said this, as I continue to think that even though wolves operate by instinct, their actions are always deliberate. It seems when you observe them in the wild as a pack, it's like they sit in a pregame locker room and discuss their game plan in advance. Now, they, they knew what they were doing. And it was not going to be good for me if something happened to my horse or one of my animals. Now, the second picture, third picture is a picture of an Arabian wolf. And this is the wolf you'll find in the Middle East. And this is the wolf I'm about to read about in Matthew's gospel. This wolf weighs up to 120 pounds, can run 40 miles an hour, and again, hunts uh, strategically organized as a pack and communicates messages via howls and tones. So I say all that to say is that Jesus is not talking about a parable. He is talking about real wolves that he's warning the church, warning the disciples about. So I wanna talk about identifying wolf warnings. Now, you may have seen one of these signs if you've been out west, an actual wolf warning sign these are real things, and what Jesus is talking about here is real. So if you would stand, I want to read to you the Word of God from Matthew's Gospel, beginning with verse 13, where Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only, this is the words of Jesus, only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide, where the many who choose, there are many that choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few, only a few ever find it. Beware of those false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. You can pick, can you pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And these very important words in verse 20, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so can you identify people by their actions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, I tried to capture a picture of a wolf in sheep's clothing. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty good picture. Uh, and, and you see how calm the, the flock of sheep are because they're not aware that a wolf or two wolves, if you look closely, are in their mix. And that's the danger Jesus is saying, be aware. Because there are wolves in sheep's clothing Outwardly, they look like sheep, but inwardly, they have malicious motives. Outwardly, they are gentle, but inwardly, they are vicious. Maybe outwardly, 
A false teacher is charismatic, mesmerizing, but inwardly luring his prey. Someone gave me this definition of wolves, who's a hunter out west, slick, sleek, sly, and a scourge. (laughs) Outwardly ministering to the weak and the injured, but inwardly allowing the sheep to scatter and stray. And so as we think about this warning that Jesus gives us, we must not be dazzled by outward clothing, by charm, by certifications, or by cultural relevance. We need to be able to ask the question, what's under the fleece? Is it a sheep or is it a wolf? And throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of God warned about false prophets. Jesus spoke about false teachers and false prophets. He speaks here about wolves in sheep's clothing. You can't read hardly any of the letters of the New Testament where the writers are not warning the church about wolves in sheep's clothing. And before the Bible was written in in, in form where it was in the hands of the people, we had the scrolls and we had the writings, but it was not yet in the hands of the people. So what did the church do to protect the church from wolves and sheep's clothing. They put together creeds. And the most famous are the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. And one of my uh, constant conversations with our team is we need to be reading more from the affirmation of faith, the Apostles' Creed, because it does give us the structure that helps us spot false teaching and false doctrine. So would you stand again? I'm gonna have us read together and say together the Apostles' Creed because as we read these truths, these are based on scripture. And these are the things we need to be watching for as we pay attention, Jesus says, be aware. So would you join me, please? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, He ascended into heaven and sat at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From this you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's what we believe. Amen. May be seated. And those words will protect us as wolves appear among us as sheep. You know, in the last days, Jesus warned of many false prophets. In Matthew 24, he has given a a, a prophecy of what the end of time will look like. And picking up in verse nine, he says, and then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then, and then, Jesus' words, the end will come. The end will come. See, church, I believe the greatest danger to the church is not politicians. It is not platforms. 
It is not persecution, but it is pastors and prophets who preach a false gospel. And that's what Jesus is warning about in this passage. You know, the, 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 the Jews were under Roman oppression. It didn't get any worse than the political oppression that they were facing. But Jesus didn't warn the early believers about the Roman Empire. He warned them about false teachers who would come and distort and dilute the words of God. So I want to say a word about identifying the danger of wolves in sheep's clothing. First of all, I would say that wolves are dangerous. They're dangerous. They're ravenous. They're greedy. They seek satisfaction and gratification. And within the heart of a wolf is a predator. It's a predator. And we set up all kinds of protections here within this church to protect children from anybody who would be a predator because there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, if you look at Yellowstone, there's a lot of debate about the ecological you know, contributions of wolves in Yellowstone. Uh, you talk to folks who are there on that side of the equation, you talk to farmers on the other side of the equation or hunters. But did you know that in Yellowstone, I think there's 73 packs of wolves in Yellowstone. That, that the Yellowstone uh, kill, the wolves in Yellowstone National Park kill up to 20, almost 2,200 elk a year. That's elk. That's not counting mule deer and counting other wildlife. That's just elk. And each year in the greater Yellowstone region, over 11,000 elk are killed by wolves. You see, wolves attack the most vulnerable. Wolves attack those who are easily deceived. And that's the same as false teachers. Go after those who are most vulnerable and the most easily deceived. See, in the current culture of tolerance, it's making it much easier to accommodate wolves. The current culture of tolerance makes it much easier to accommodate wolves. And again, in all of my years of preaching, I said this a few minutes ago, that I believe this is the most dangerous critical time for the church, especially here in the West. And, and almost daily, I'm on a phone call with a pastor or lay leadership in other churches that are under attack because of what they believe about the Bible. And here at Mount Horeb, we are leading the charge. And, and I appreciate what uh, Bryce shared is that we believe the Bible is the word of God. And we're gonna stand upon the Bible being the word of God. And, and we believe it is, it, is, it is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But the word of God is under attack. Even within our own denomination, we find that attack. And so just know that wolves are dangerous, but also wolves are deceptive. Wolves in sheep's clothing are deceptive. And some of the ways they're deceptive is false prophets promote heresy, teaching what contradicts and even denounces biblical truth. There, there are, it breaks my heart to say this, there are professors in our Methodist seminaries that don't believe in the resurrection. They don't, do not believe in the virgin birth that you just declared you believed in the Apostles' Creed. And it breaks my heart, and I, but it doesn't surprise me that our denomination is declining because people are, are leaving the church because they're not hearing the truth 
of Scripture being preached. Deceptive and, and heresy, the false prophets who are charlatans, who use their charm and use their personality for financial gain to grow a church. There are false prophets who prophesy a new revelation, who, who take a, a new position that God has given me a new position on this that's not biblical. I read you the words of Revelation 22, where John the Revelator said this, and I solemnly declare to everyone who reads this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God shall add him to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone subtracts any part of these prophecies, God shall take away his share in the tree of life. From Proverbs 30, verse five and six, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. So as a pastor for 40 plus years, I want to stand on this word. And I do not want to be called a liar when I stand before God. And, and it is painful in today's uh, culture of tolerance to stand firmly on the word of God. But we will stand on the word of God because Jesus says there are wolves in sheep's clothing. There are also false prophets who tickle the ears. Human pleasers versus God pleasers. Seeking popularity by teaching only parts of the Bible people want to hear. More about happiness than holiness. More about God's mercy and love than God's judgment. Again, in the Apostles' Creed, we believe that then he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I want to give word that there is a judgment coming. And all of us will stand before Almighty God, including myself, and we'll give an account of who we are and what we've done. Folks, don't just listen to prophets who will tickle your ears. I want to give a word of warning to our high school graduates. Graduates, when you go off to school, go off to college, those of you who are going to college, you're going to run into persuasive professors who will challenge the foundation of your values. They, they will challenge the truth about God's word that you learn from your parents and from your family. They will challenge the truths that Bryce and other people have taught you here through student ministry and that you learned through confirmation mentors. I want you to be prepared for that, that, that you're gonna be face those challenges. And I'd rather you hear it from me. Than, and, and I was talking to a family uh, uh, after the nine o'clock service that came out. They had two, two of their children with them, both uh, one finished college, just graduated college, one's in the middle of college. They said, boy, that is absolutely true. Our, our faith got challenged our first two years in college. You know, it got drugged through the mud and, and we could not really say what we believed. And, and, and that's just so sad to me. But I want you to be aware that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Wolves are dangerous. Wolves are deceptive. And wolves, as Brian Palmer, my friend said, are deliberate. They're not easily deterred. Uh, they, they, they stay focused, and they are focused. Haven't you watched that movie, uh, when you're watching a movie and it's, you know, it's a Western or something that's taking place in the West, and, and they get stuck out there, and, and there's, you know, there, you know, there's wolves and there's bears, and, and what, do they, what do they always do? Is they light a fire, right? And they get that fire, you know, it could be, you know, one of those vampire movies, right? You light a fire, you know, whatever. But anyway, you light a fire because... Because light protects you in the midst of darkness, right? You know, Lynn and I were watching a, a show last night, and one of our, it's our, one of our favorite shows on Netflix, and I, I shared this with our, 
uh, staff, all staff, a couple weeks ago, and I asked the raiser in how many watched this show, and only one staff watched this show. But it's the only show that I found on Netflix that you can actually watch and not get distorted. Uh, anybody watch Heartland? I love Heartland. You got all the horses and stuff, you know, and so this is a fun, healthy show. We were watching it last night, and, and they got stuck out in, in the wilderness, and you know there were bears out there, and there were wolves out there, and they lit a fire, right? They were around the fire, and, and everything's going to be okay, and then it starts raining, right? And my wife goes, the fire's going to go out. The fire's going to go out, you know? Because that's what we're afraid of, right? The fire's going to go out. The fire's going to go out. In many of our churches today, the fire is going out because we are not standing for the word of God. Jesus says, what do you do with your light? Don't hide it under a bushel, right? But let the world see that I am the light of the world. And then they're very deliberate and then wolves are destructive. You know, wolves don't just kill to survive. They kill for sport. They found situations and scenarios in, 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 in Yellowstone, for example, where a pack of wolves killed 23, I think 23 or 26 elk at one time. Now, they didn't need to eat 23 or 26 elk. They just killed them because that's what they do is they, they go in for destruction. Uh, again, at the beginning of this passage, we read, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to hell, that leads to destruction and many enter it. I believe that one of the ways that wolves and sheep's clothing bring about destruction is they make the path, the road so wide. The road is so wide and there is no, it, it, it gets to be universalism where if you just are a nice person, but Jesus didn't teach that. He said the road to heaven is narrow because it's about giving your life to God. It's about being the person God made you to be. It's, about, it's not about rules and regulations. It's about that God wants his best for you. And God knows what his best for you is, is to give you life and life abundant. Be careful about prophets who make a broad road. Now, let me, let me say a word about COVID. I don't believe COVID is a wolf in sheep's clothing, but COVID has certainly scattered God's people, has it not? I mean, it breaks my heart to, to come to church and see people scattered. And it's great to see a wonderful crowd here today, but this is still a small crowd compared to what pre-COVID, right? And I just wanna say, if you're watching online, um, we, we believe it's safe here. Uh, we wanna encourage you to continue to come back. I, I, and I appreciate all of you who watch online. Many of you say, hey, pastor, I haven't been here in a year, but I watch it online every week. That's wonderful. Thanks be to God for technology. But there's something special about being together in God's house. And I, and I think that, I believe that the, that the flock is safer when we're together. And I know that the evil one wants to isolate us so he can pick us off, right? And so just encourage you to find the fellowship that you need, uh, whether it's in a small group, a Bible study, or here in worship together. Um, now let me talk about identifying the actions of wolves. Um, I don't know if you've, I've got an illustration here, if I can do this. And, and I got a hundred dollar bill. And it's not for giveaway. I'm not giving away a $100 bill. Um, but did you know, that, like on this $100 bill, there's like a, I don't know, like five or six different ways you can tell that the new $100 bill is counterfeit. And one of the unique ways that I found is that you can take a toothpick and, and run it through the sleeves if you got glasses. Um, hang on a second. I, I can do this. I did it. There we go. And you can run it through these sleeves in the, in the uh, toothpick I mean, in the $100 bill, and there it is, right? Um, and it, I, did you know that was in a $100 bill? I had no idea, right? 
But, but again, smart people said, we got to stop counterfeiters. And so this is one of the ways that we can check if a hundred dollar bill is real. Now, I'm not going to suggest you keep your toothpicks in here, uh, but, but in a, in, in a worst case scenario, you could keep your toothpicks there, you know, and, uh, and have them there. And, and I was talking to, uh, uh, the young lady who's backstage for us, who's our producer today, and she works at a bank and she says, I, I never knew that was the case. But you know what she said, which was really profound. She said, you know, we usually check counterfeit for a dollar, $1 bill, $5 bills and $20 bills because nobody thinks they're valuable you know, and they're going to slip through. And she said that, I thought, you know, that's how false prophets work. They change a little bit of the truth and a little bit of the truth and a little bit of the truth until you have all the truth has been changed. So watch out for how to identify. Again, Matthew 7, 20, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. I'm going to give you three things real quickly about how to identify the actions of wolves and sheep. Jesus said the fruit. Watch the fruit. First is content, what they say. Twisting, tweaking the truth to tickle the ear. Changing one truth at a time. Isn't that what the evil one did in the garden? Didn't he say these words? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Did did Jesus really say that? that? Is that what Jesus really said? Did did Jesus really mean that or did he just mean it for those people? He he doesn't mean it for you. This is exactly how the whole original sin problem happened in the Garden of Eden. 2 Timothy 4, one of the most prophetic statements in Scripture right now about our times. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Jesus is warning about this. Now, I believe that Jesus declared that truth is absolute. He said, quoting Jesus, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, in the world we live in today, there are those who believe that everybody has their own truth. I got my truth and you got your truth and they got their truth and we shouldn't disrespect each other because we all have our own truths. I don't believe Jesus preached that. I don't believe Jesus taught that. I believe he declared that he was the truth. Not one of many truths, but the truth. And if he did not believe there was a concern about false truth, he wouldn't have given this statement that he made. He wouldn't have warned us about false teachers if there was no need to warn us about false truth, right? And so I believe that that he is the truth and that I follow him and I look to him for the source of all truth. Now, Jesus is, I don't think, wanting us to create an unhealthy culture of suspicion or paranoia, but he wants us to know what is true so we can spot what is false. So when you're listening to someone teach, you're listening to me preach, Is God the origin of the message? Is the teaching grounded in Scripture? Is the teaching in agreement with all Scripture? Is the teaching consistent with 2,000 years of historical scholarship and tradition? Is the teaching producing good and beneficial fruit that glorifies God? Is the teaching full of truth? Or does it have partial truth? You see, the problem with false prophets is they tell partial truth. 
I love the Yiddish proverb that says, a half-truth is a whole lie. <laughs> Parents, you can use that one with your kids. A half-truth is a whole lie. Content, then character. I love Malcolm Forbes' quote. We said that the test of a man's character is how he treats those who can't do anything for you and those who can't do anything to you. Character will reveal a false prophet. Let me be clear this morning that wolves in sheep's clothing rustle sheep. Sheep don't steal sheep. Sheep don't kill sheep. Wolves steal sheep. They, they provoke division. They have their own agenda. And wolves seem to have an internal radar in which they can detect weakness. And false prophets detect weak believers. 1 John 4 says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. 1 John 4. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. I would encourage all of us to pray for discernment to know what is real so we can identify what is fake. Content, character, and finally crop. Jesus says you'll know them by the fruit they bear and the most famous passage, Galatians 5, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against There is no law against these things. Look for the fruit. My good friend Steve Arneson wrote a blog in 2013 and I asked him to find it for me and to send it to me. He wrote a blog. He's a Christian counselor about wolves. He said, you can see wolves by the fruit they bear. Wolves gossip. Wolves are easily offended. Wolves misuse scripture. Wolves are always right. Wolves have the attitude, it's my way or the highway. Wolves are argumentative. Wolves look for fights. Wolves vie for power. Wolves undermine the work of the church. Wolves are unwilling to admit when they're wrong and instead of apologize or ask for forgiveness. Lord, give us the wisdom and discernment to look at the fruit, the crop, the character, the content. Now, finally, this morning, I want to just say a word about identifying our responsibility to guard the sheep. When I walk down the hallways, I look at the folks wearing blue shirts and I say, thank you for protecting our children. Thank you for taking care of the children of Mount Horeb. Whether you're a lay person, a lay leader, a servant, a pastor, a staff member, we are called to guard the sheep, to protect God's people. It's, it's a vow that I took when I was ordained a Methodist pastor. Pastor Jeff Kersey, as I was kneeling there before a bishop, I was asked the question, will you guard the truth? Will you guard the church? Will you protect God's people? That's a solemn vow. It's a vow that I take very seriously. It's a vow that I want to keep when I breathe, have kept when I breathe my last. When I hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, not well done, thou miserable liar, right? I don't want to do that. 
So I want to say a word, just a word, as sheep, as sheep, as, as followers of Jesus, do you know God's word well enough to discern whether someone truly speaks for God or speaks for themselves? You need to know that. You need to get into God's word in these crazy times we live in. You need to be able to discern a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, one of the benefits of wolves, it's forced the church to defend the faith. It's forced us to dig deeper into what is true in scripture. You know, in these days, we must read the scripture and put them into practice. You know, Jesus concludes this sermon. Again, the family I was talking to after church, uh, the dad's a builder. At the end of this chapter seven, where Jesus warns about false prophets and, and wolves and sheep's clothing, he closes with the story of the wise man who put the words of Jesus into practice. And he was like a wise builder who built his house on a solid foundation, a rock. And when the rains came and the winds came and the floods came and beat against that house, it did not fall because his house was built on the words of Jesus. And the foolish person is the one who heard the words of Jesus and didn't put them into practice. And when the winds came, the rains came, the floods came, great was the fall of the house. You, you gotta build your house on the solid foundation. And wolves aren't just coming against the church. Wolves are coming against the family. Wolves are coming against our children. And we've got to build things on a solid foundation of God's words. As pastors and shepherds and lay leadership in the church, teachers, mentors, let me say a word to you. We, get, we got to guard our hearts with accountability and community. We got to be grounded in scripture. We are all susceptible to wolves, even becoming a wolf. And the key to being a great leader is sacrifice. Listen to what Jesus said in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself. Did you hear that? Puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and he runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. And then these words from the apostle Paul as he is finishing up his ministry in Ephesus. He writes these words to the elders of the church in Ephesus, Acts 20. And now beware, same thing Jesus said. Be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock his church purchased with his own blood for the Holy Spirit. Leaders, listen to this. Pastors, staff, listen to this. Teachers, listen to this. For the Holy Spirit is holding you responsible as overseers. I know full well that after I leave you, false teachers like vicious wolves will appear among you, not sparing the flock. Some of you yourselves will distort the truth. Some of you yourselves will distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch care over you night and day and my many tears for you. Lay leaders in our church, teachers, pastors, mentors, our first concern must not be about upsetting the sheep. Our first concern must be about protecting the sheep. I'm going to say some things in sermons that I hope upset me first and upset you second because God's word is convicting, is it not? 
if God's word is not troubling me and convicting me, I'm not reading it correctly. And I'm certainly not delivering it correctly. I love these words from John Calvin. My first ever John Calvin quote. For those of you who come out of a Baptist tradition, this is my first ever John Calvin quote. But he spoke a great word here. He says, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. Two voices. The scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. For he who is deeply skilled in it will be able to both govern those who are teachable and refute the enemies of the truth. Good word from John Calvin. I want to close with the story of a young man who spoke at the global gathering of the Wesleyan Covenant Association in Montgomery, Alabama, two weeks ago. A gathering of leaders around the globe looking to protect biblical authority within the Methodist movement. Eric is the lead pastor of the Story Church in Houston, Texas. Eric grew up in rural Northwest Texas. His dad was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. His great-grandfather was a pastor. His great-great-grandfather was a pastor. He said, I was eager to be a pastor. I was a poster boy for straight-laced, cookie-cutter, red-blooded American Christianity. I went to college, Christian college, married the cutest Christian girl he could find, and began pastoring a Methodist church at the age of 21. A Methodist pastor at the age of 21. He writes about two persuasive college professors that convinced Eric that Christianity was, like all other religions, a man-made construct designed to fool gullible peasants into submission by playing on their fears of death and damnation. For the next 13 years, Eric said, I did everything I could and say to play the part of a Methodist pastor. But I didn't believe in the God of Scripture. I didn't believe that God could actually part the Red Sea. I didn't believe that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. I didn't believe in the resurrection. I was a pastor to be a political activist. I cherry-picked my favorite Bible verses as a weapon against people who disagreed with my progressive positions. But internally, I was falling apart. I was depressed. I was isolated and I was struggling with an addiction to pornography. But I got invited to go to the Holy Land, to go and be an activist for Palestinians. But when I was in Capernaum at a house that Christians lived in in the first century of Christianity, I finally was convinced that Jesus was real. It was in Capernaum, he says, I became a Christian for the first time and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I began to learn that Jesus loved the Bible, that Jesus never criticized the Bible. He never contradicted the Bible. And he quoted from it often, <laughs> from the Old Testament. He said the hard work began when I got back home. I needed to apologize to my sweet wife, who I'd mistreat, mistreated for 13 years because she believed in Jesus. I had to go to all the churches that I had preached a false gospel in and apologize for preaching a false gospel. Now, Eric Hoffman is, has a church in Houston that's blowing up. It's a church that's reaching skeptics. 
And just like God reached down and grabbed Saul on the Damascus Road and raised him up to be a voice to the Pharisees and a voice in Judaism and a voice to the Roman Empire, I believe that God has raised up Eric Huffman to reach skeptics, to reach those who believe that God isn't real. People within the church, people within the denomination, people that are pastors who need to find Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, when the wolf scatters the flock, the great shepherd goes looking for the lost. There's a picture that hangs in my office of Jesus going after the one lost sheep when the 99 are in the fold. See, God went looking for Eric Hoffman and found him in Capernaum outside of a house and brought him back into the fold. Today, if you've wandered from the fold, from God's fold, from God's family, from faith, maybe you went to college and maybe you got your, your, your values and beliefs all messed up. Jesus is looking for you. Jesus loves you. And he wants to give your life purpose and meaning and direction. He wants the very best for you. See, I always believe this, that God tells you the truth to make you better. The devil lies to you to make you worse. Let me say that again. God tells you the truth to make you better. The devil lies to you to make you worse. You got a lot of people believing a lot of lies, thinking that that is life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundant. Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you that today you are true. That when we speak your name, put our faith in you that you come into our hearts and you begin to transform us from the inside out and Father I pray that we would not just hear your words today but we would apply your words we would we would invite your words into our hearts and we would seek to be your men and women Lord this is a timely message and a time of that sometimes feels desperate because the wolves are howling Lord God, may we stand firm in your words through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray you would change hearts right now, change lives, and use this church to be a lighthouse of your love, of your grace, of your mercy, and your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.